0: Hi, everybody. I'm Ralph Ben Benmerge. Welcome to Not That Kind of Rabbi, the show where really I'm not that kind of rabbi. I am a spiritual director. It's one of the things that has happened for me over the period of my life. And, uh, Uh, it's not quite the same thing as being a rabbi. And one of the good things about it is you don't have all the congregational duties of a rabbi. You don't have to be there every time and then have everybody judge whether you were a good rabbi or a bad rabbi that week, whether you were entertaining enough as a rabbi. Um, But nonetheless, I do enjoy the life of the Spirit very much and love talking to people through that lens on this program. We've had some fantastic guests and lots of people that I've never met. And then sometimes we get to talk to people who I've haven't spoken to in a very long time, but would love to connect again with. So, in this case, we find ourselves in the middle of a biblical moment in the history of the world. Uh, you know, we're, it was just Passover a little while ago for some of us, and uh, there's the thing, you see, the plagues themselves seem to be reenacting them. I thought climate change was giving us our plagues, but now we're actually, like, who on earth would have known that a virus— would be the thing that changed the channel. I could not have called this one. It's impossible. That this thing you can't taste or touch or hear or smell, that you don't know if you even have it. And you don't know who else has it. And when you go to the grocery store, you're looking at people like, it's a zombie apocalypse. And if they touch you, you're toast. And then you pick up the orange and think, is is it on this orange? Should I just bathe myself in sanitizer while in the car? i'm in the car as jackie mason used to say i don't know the answer to these things and my guest doesn't either but that doesn't matter we'll just discuss but joining me is someone who i think i met maybe in 1988 87 he had a busker tape cassette tape it was a good tape Uh, and uh, we ended up doing some interviews on radio on tv and uh one thing i'll never forget is we ended up at the dawson city music festival and (laughs) to find our way to our airplane in the middle of the night and there was one guy at the jam who would you know especially men are convinced they can play drums all men think they're funny and they can play drums and this one guy was playing a hand drum and uh, Tyler, the drummer for the Barrett Naked Ladies at the time, looked at me with the look of, if I could kill him and get away with it. I would kill him and get away with it. <laughs> so yeah. that's how it worked. Stephen Page joins me now, and I'm very happy to uh, to see you. How are you, sir?
1: I'm well. I'm well. I'm hanging in. I'm still alive. No virus that I can tell yet. Yeah. How are you?
0: Well, you know, um, I've... I'm kind of on the side of this, like it's very hard sometimes. I've got, still got two, believe it or not, your kids, I think, are like what, 19, 22, 17? Yeah. I, ni- 19, uh,
1: 21, and
0: 23. Right. Yeah. So I've got a 33-year-old and a 30-year-old, but I've got a 10-year-old and a 14-year-old. Wow. Right? Okay. That's commitment. Yeah so i've got the homeschooling thing and the occasionally my family's driving me crazy thing and then there's the thank god i have a family thing right so there's all that going on but there's also this thing of is this our moment i mean god forbid it's you know for some people this is their moment like john prine for one yeah Uh, i want to talk to you about adam schlesinger as well but yeah like is this our moment to reboot to actually rethink what we're doing and snap out of the trance of this extractive, consumptive society that we've created. So I don't know. Do any of those thoughts occur to you in the middle of all this? or?
1: Well, I wonder sometimes whether I am snapping out of the trance yet. Like, when is that going to happen for me? Because I feel like right now I'm in this, I'm kind of in a new trance. In the first week of the panic, when things started to shut down, I was very productive writing a bunch of new songs and recording them and putting stuff online. And then you kind of see the rest of the world doing that same kind of thing. And I kind of retreated. Uh, I'm still working, but you know, even my ability to work seems muted. Like I, I go downstairs to my studio that I'm in right now. And um, what would have intrigued me for a good eight hours kind of holds my attention for about 45. And then I'm just exhausted. I kind of feel this overall exhaustion And, uh, and I, I wonder, um, I'm, I'm sure it's good to slow down, but I think it's also, it takes a toll too. And, uh, and I think that that right now I'm, I am consuming a lot, a lot of TV, a lot of movies, um, listening to music. So it's, I'm still kind of in this consuming state too. Yeah. The what? Oh, I'm eating lots of food.
0: So oh, I know because it's there. Oh. Right? <laughs> like, what else? I can't go out. Yeah, you know, I, I can't. Well, that's it?
1: The plans go. are what's for dinner today.
0: Yeah. <laughs> at breakfast, that's yeah. the question. What's oh, for totally. dinner today? But there's also this need to feel productive, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That you're not worthy if you are just, just relaxing, just stopping, right. just going on sabbatical. And, and so, did that push you a lot too at the beginning of this?
1: Uh, I think at the beginning, I was one of the things was when when things started to shut down, I was uh, at the Stratford Festival working on this musical that I co-wrote with Daniel McIver. And it's something that we've been working on for seven years now. And it was finally coming to fruition. We were working with the actors and director and the whole creative team, and it was supposed to be opening in June. And then they sent us home. And at that point, I thought, well, this is terrible, but... Um, this is my opportunity to do the other stuff that I was worried I wasn't going to be able to do. You know, Part of what I have to continue to do in order to tour and look myself in the mirror and is to keep writing and making records. And I didn't know how I was going to have time to do that. So first thing I thought was, great, here's a chance for me to finish my record. And it's taking me
0: just as long as it always used to take me. And I don't,
1: I don't know, even know what I'm squeezing the work in
0: between now. So why do you think that is that it's taking you just as long?
1: Well, I've had to tell myself, just what you were saying, that it's okay to take the time and not be as productive or not have not have to show how productive you are. Yeah. Because productivity, especially in, in in a creative pursuit, a lot of that just happens, you know, up in the brain pan, and it's 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 not always in the exercise of of putting the you know pen to paper or uh, you know notes on tape or whatever else, that sometimes it's just about processing, and it's also it's about looking at. When I look at lyrics that I've written, and I think, well, how do they fit in a world that I don't know what it's going to be when this finally sees the light of day? Um, and I'm pleased that some of them are about bigger things things that i don't understand and that's um you know like there are what? some songs about well there's some songs about trying to get my head around um things like uh quantum physics or the idea of and you know it's some of the stuff that, that i think you like to talk about like stuff like the idea of what is god you know when i when i've approached religion in previous records, like my last two, for example, a lot of them a lot of it is my critique of people who I find to be blindly religious or so religious as a as an identity, um, at the at the expense of reason or empathy or um uh open-mindedness towards things like science or public health or whatever else. Um and now that kind of interests me less and less. I think we see it so plainly in front of us on the news all the time. Especially, you know, I live in the states, so look at, yeah, yeah. Look at what's happening down here. Um, that I think what has interested in me more has been, well, what, why don't I understand what I don't understand? I'm not a dummy, but there are things that there are are whether they're scientific concepts or spiritual concepts that are beyond my grasp and that to me is fascinating and worth writing about
0: you know it's interesting i used to always uh, joke i think with you as well that you were the canter you were the, the sure
1: that's what my mom always wanted me to be
0: well, well you know and sometimes when i've heard you singing uh, over the years i just thought no no he's he really is a canter he just doesn't know it because, because when you're hitting that angelic note and a person is listening to it Music is a form of of worship, and it brings people together in congregation. And all those people who come to your concerts, and you know, I guess these days they take their phones instead of big lighters, and you know, move them back and forth. They're 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 searching, they're yearning for for more meaning in their life. I and mean, yeah. you feel that, right? Yeah,
1: and I've I've learned that more and more as I've gotten older and, you know, since I left Naked Ladies, you know, trying to kind of find my place in the world. And what's the value of singing the old songs or that kind of thing. And I realized over time that, like, let's say singing an old song like Brian Wilson, um, which I wrote when I was 19 and you think, well, God, I'm almost 50. Now it's like, it's not really the same person, but, um, it's all part of my journey. It's all part of my life story. But even bigger than that, it's part of the audience's life story. And to have some songs like that, or If I Had a Million Dollars, whatever else, that, as 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 maybe even as light as If I Had a Million Dollars might be, I realized that I was lucky enough to be involved in writing a campfire song. That like A, a song like that has nothing to do with me anymore. It has to do with the audience and their lives, and whether it's, the soundtrack to their first year in university, or it's their camping trip, or it's the song their grandparents sang, or whatever it is now. That's what they bring with them when I sing a song in concert. And when they're singing along with me, they're just shooting all those those memories, the, their own memories, into into the room. And that's amazing to me.
0: Yeah. Well put. Well put. I mean, I think about, like, your mother was Jewish. Your mm-hmm. father converted to try to keep your mother's family happy it didn't work they could have cared less um, did you get any kind of religious upbringing or was it just kind of a con- bunch of confusing signals
1: oh no absolutely like I went to religious school from like from the age of six until about 17 so I'd had bar mitzvah and uh, then we did a confirmation class where they sent us to Israel for the summer when I was 17 and uh, like we had our our uh, Zoom Seder this, uh,
0: this Passover.
1: And the funny thing is, like, my dad, my parents had the Seder on the first night, and it's just my mom and dad, because nobody else was around and or allowed in. And my dad still insists on reading the whole Haggadah. So, <laughs> you know, even though... So he's, he, he's the guy who wasn't born Jewish, but a lot of those traditions he takes very, very seriously. And you? Yeah, it's a funny thing. Like, my kids you know, I have, so I have two stepkids as well. Okay. My wife, uh, has, uh, has a daughter who's 21 and a son who's 15. And, uh, and, uh, you know, we, there's, there's kind of no religion in our house when we're uh everyday life, apart from if, you know, I do have a mezuzah on the door and right. uh, light, the light, light the Hanukkah candles when I think of it and that kind of thing. Um, but, uh, but my kids, um, my ex and myself, we actually had them converted.
0: Um, yeah, because Carolyn didn't convert, right?
1: Your that's friend. right. But she, but she um, was very keen on raising the kids Jewish. And, you know, we were members of the, the Danforth Jewish Circle.
0: Yeah, uh, good, one. good one. And the
1: kids all, all did their religious education through there and their bar mitzvahs. And a couple of my kids continued to teach there, taught part of the bar mitzvah class and stuff. Um, so they, it's very much part of their identity. Um, and, uh, you know, something that they, that they feel is, is them.
0: So when you think of spirituality in your own life now, like you were saying, you're some of you, right? So p- part of you right now is actually has the time to think of the really big questions. And I think it's in June, you're going to be 50. Is that right? Yeah. That's true. Yeah. So for everybody there come these points. I always find birthdays with a zero in them kind of yeah. slap me in the side of the head. Like what I have to say what? So where does that leave you when it comes to those, you know, why are we here questions?
1: I don't, like, it's, I was gauging this year more by the fact that my musical was going to be on yeah. stage. And that was going to be my, my 2020 and my 50 year. Um, and i think about the fact that even when i was a little kid i used to imagine what I remember you know imagining the year 2000 and imagining the year 2020 because you know those are nice round years and you, and being born in 70 it was a nice round year for me as well um but uh but i, I don't know if if it's like i think in, in a certain way i'm in the the least amount of crisis i've been in as an adult or even as a person i feel like the most okay um it doesn't mean i don't struggle all the time but i don't feel like i'm um uh unhappy with my station in life or you know what my choices have been or whatever else and that, that i think that affords me the opportunity to think about the bigger thing because i think the thinking about the bigger thing is also thinking about other people and that's another part of the journey I've had over the last 10 years or so is once I finally understood that it wasn't all about me and that there was that seeing s- the same events through other people's eyes um, or imagining these certain events in my life being erased from history and realizing it how uh, what a small insignificant effect they would have on the world. It's, Kind of gives you gave me peace, as opposed to anxiety.
0: Yeah, you know it's interesting in spiritual journeying. There's you, there's a guy named Richard Rohr who's a Christian mystic, and I, I really like his stuff. I get his emails regularly. His daily uh, meditations, and he's a he's a, a Catholic uh, of the sort of high spiritual order uh, as opposed to the high rules order. Uh, but he's got stuff that really makes you think about. The ego and what place the ego has in getting in our way right it doesn't help us as much especially you know as performers i remember when when i was more of a performer where i had you know it was a stand-up and i would get out there and you just realize that it's, i remember i somebody got this horrible review a friend of mine and he was crushed he was just like how could they say that like i worked so hard on that show and what do you mean it sucks and i said Look, it, you, here's the thing: you gotta either believe them. If you believe them when they love you, you gotta believe them when they think you're a joke. True. You've given away your power. So you gotta know yourself. You don't need somebody to tell you if you had a good show. Like when somebody would tell me I had a good show and I didn't, I'd be more upset with them for doing that. I could, don't cheer me up. I'm perfectly aware that sucked. <laughs> you know.
1: Well, and then I, I I learned fairly early on that sometimes I was totally wrong like my sense of oh, that was a me- mediocre to terrible show and somebody who'd seen us a hundred times would say that's the best time i've ever seen you guys <laughs> and your mind does a million things thinking are you an idiot or am i an idiot or like what <laughs> show do we just watch there but maybe it's because part of you is working so hard yeah. to keep the quality of the show up and the other part of you has kind of already given up and on stage <laughs> right. and there's making that better.
0: yeah 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 lawrence olivier came off stage and they have five standing ovations at the end of his performance he had given great british actor you know and he walks off and he's really upset and the stage uh, managers who well, so Sir lawrence what's the problem like they they loved you and he goes i don't know what i did tonight i right. just don't know yeah. i was so but the problem was he was so present that he didn't have that self-censor sitting on his shoulder going, you're not singing that right, or you're not doing that line right, or you didn't stand right. And he lost that by being totally present, but then he just knew he could not repeat what he did that night, which is a big mistake any artist makes. Is I think I'll do last night's show, it killed, right?
1: Well, I remember doing a show, a corporate show, must have been 20 years ago, in Las Vegas for like the Dodge dealers of America and it was, um, <laughs> you know, whose median age is probably 75. Yeah. And I think it was, they, it was when they had um, a, big, a big awards night and stuff for um, Chrysler the night before, and they'd had Celine Dion and, you know, huge star. And then the next night for Dodge, they had bare naked ladies. And it was kind <laughs> of, you know, they, they, they all knew they were, the, they just, were quite the, yeah. the successful brands. Um, But we had Dana Carvey was was on before us and he walked off stage and the audience was very tepid towards him. And I was we were talking to him and, you know, said that, um, you know, the audience didn't really like they were kind of a shitty audience, weren't they? And he said he said, yeah, it's their it's their fault. Like, I realize it's, you know, this act works and if they don't like it, it's their problem, not mine. And i have never heard, because it was the opposite of the way we always worked. We were always like, do you like us? Do you like us now? Do you like us now? What if we do this? Do you like that? And it kind of like made me, it was the first time I thought about it that way. And it it felt so kind of callous and not the reason why we performed. But sometimes it gives me some comfort to know, it's okay to know that what you're doing is works. Yeah. And,
0: I mean, I'm kind of I, torn I think, on that
1: I, I think I have a, an, an, an obligation as a performer to invite the audience in. And I think that sometimes if they don't get it, it's because I didn't do, it's not because I didn't do a good enough job with my show, but in the way I presented it that night, I didn't open the door wide enough for
0: them. Right. So you said a few things that make me think about what something that sounds like it's grown in you over the years, and that's compassion. Would you say that's true?
1: so. Yeah. I mean, uh, God, I'm not perfect, but it's it's certainly, uh, it's certainly far closer to the front of my mind than than it ever was. I think, um, I spent my younger years very focused on what I was doing and I mean, that was a good thing and, um, was always, um, I think compassionate about, um, people in general about, you know, helping out about, uh, raising awareness and being charitable and so on but working in the room with other people probably far less uh, aware of other people's point of view other people's feelings uh, far less uh, i probably valued it far less than i do now you know i think about when i when i work now in whatever room whether it's at stratford or whether it's with the stephen page trio that i play with now it's so effortless in a way. Like, you work hard, but it's, e- it's emotionally effortless um, because I've learned to trust the people I work with and hand things over to them. And, you know, I look back at the way I was in my late teens and early 20s and, and I think, God, like, why was I so wound up about all that stuff? But I, felt, I think then I always felt I would lose myself if I didn't stand my ground on every little bit.
0: Well, I mean, not to be too hard on yourself, when you're 19 or 20 or 24 or 28 or whatever, um, there's a lot more at stake, we think, in terms right. of our worthiness. Am I really, especially when you get success, you've got success and people were lining up to see you and you have to, I mean, for some people, they, they're walking in the backstage door and they're seeing this crowd out front and thinking, me? oh crap i better do this well or what why me not me Like you're not really actually here to see me so it can really play but with my, your,
1: your my thing was always well as long as um as long as these people don't catch on <laughs> that i'm a total fraud then everything's fine but anything i can do to make sure that they don't know the truth that wow. i'm not worthy of this
0: but that's heavy man i mean th- that's a heavy you know sort of cone of silence, you know, get smart cone of silence of, I hope nobody knows what we're saying in here, because if they find out I'm not actually Steve Page, that I'm just the guy, that, that's a lot, you know, one of the things that I didn't know is that there were challenges for you with mental health, mm. I didn't know that, I, I'd never uh, intuited that in being around you, uh, and I, I read something about bipolar, and I don't understand bipolar. So I was hoping, if it didn't bug you, that you could tell me a little about that.
1: Well, I, I have mixed feelings about diagnosis in general. It's such yeah. an inexact science. Uh, when it comes to those, there are certain certain mental illnesses that are much more easily diagnosable, and many of them are much more severe than what I've struggled with. But I've gone, you know, for, for the, the multitude of doctors and therapists I've gone to, I mean, I was first diagnosed as bipolar by my family doctor um, mm. in the course of five minutes. I mean, is um, that feel reliable? You talk- How did you feel? I, you talk- I felt like giving up because, you know, part of that is that here's, a, here's an antidepressant and here is lithium to combat your manic episodes and you're going to need to take that for the rest of your life. And when you're 24, that feels like a death sentence, and it feels it feels like punishment. Everything felt like punishment to me. Um, so I my um, I took it seriously in varying degrees, and I think for the longest time, I took my mental health struggles more as um, like a badge of honor, like it some, somehow uh, made me. Um, it somehow uh, gave me the, the, the brand of, uh, of tortured artist that I'd so wanted to, the mantle that I'd wanted to carry. Um, and it probably, well, I know it wasn't until I was in my late 30s when I got arrested that I actually started to take my mental health seriously. Um, and I know I've struggled with depression uh, and anxiety, um, but, uh, but also these manic episodes that... Um, for the longest time, I didn't see any of those episodes coming. And I didn't know how to cope with them when they would come. Um, and they would manifest in either just complete um, lifelessness or largely kind of anger. Um, which is one thing people don't talk about a lot with with, um, with the manic side. Because I think the, the stereotype is is grandiose sometimes extra fun loving kind of behavior, which is part of it. Um, but I also realized as I started to take this more seriously in the last 15 years or so, it was that none of that, none of, neither the depressive side nor the manic side helped me. I mean, maybe because I've had experience with them, I have some ability to reflect on them and write about them after the fact. But while in the throes of either of those situations, they've only made life and work and relationships harder. Um, And, you know, distance, they just distance me from other people. Um, And as I've worked towards finding some balance and some middle ground, I've been much more productive, happy with the work I do, happy with the way I conduct relationships but it's it's always a work in progress
0: you know thank you for sharing that with me by the way Uh, you know i was hesitant to talk about it because it's not my business it's yours but thank you for that i appreciate it but you know one of the things i found with artists sometimes in interviewing artists over the years is i don't want to mess with my mojo if i if this is working and everybody loves me And I'm putting out songs that I'm thinking or I'm doing a show and I'm I'm performing and I'm, you know what, this is pretty good. You think to yourself, don't mess with it, with this chemistry, even if it's bad chemistry. Did that, did that happen?
1: Oh, I definitely used to think that. Um, And, you know, I would take an antidepressant and it would help me get out of bed. But I wouldn't get, I wouldn't have the depth of feeling that I thought I had. Uh, i wouldn't uh my my emotions, maybe even my ideas felt felt dulled um and I thought well what was the point of that and i'd been on and off medications for years um but I think when I started to kind of face the fact that I was you know uh, that at that point twelve years ago um that I was potentially gonna lose everything, my you know, relationship with my kids, all kinds of things like that. So well, what, what would I like to have? What's the thing I want to have the most? Um, and I realized that, though, that I wanted to be able to look myself in the mirror, and I wanted my kids to be able to look at me and feel a connection. You know? And that all led me towards taking better care of myself, first and foremost. And then the fact that I could still do work and realize that I started making music that I was as proud of or prouder of than I'd ever mm-hmm. done, um, then that old argument of, of losing my mojo didn't mean anything.
0: You know, it's also, there's, it seems for me from, from a distance that there was a, a leap of musical faith, a leap of faith about yourself that you had to go through to really find your voice. You had a voice. Mm-hmm. and everybody loved it and all that, blah, blah, big band, lots of arena stuff, but I then I turn around and see you do the Art of Ensemble, you know, the the what's it called? The Art, Art of
1: Time of, Ensemble.
0: Art of Time, yeah, Art of Time Ensemble, and I think, oh, is this him? Is this actually him? Did, did, is Am I right in that, that there was a, a journey to self that was in there?
1: Absolutely, I mean, you know, I... I was lucky enough to be asked by Andrew Barashko if I wanted to do a concert with the Art of Time, and it just kind of blew my mind open because it was an ability. The ability there, the first concert, it was all covers. So it was a chance for me to do songs that I always loved, but in a kind of a classical setting uh, um, and something different with my voice, like kind of use what I felt was my real voice um, or a bigger version of it or a more nuanced version of it. Um, and it was terrifying, but it, but mm-hmm. exhilarating. Um, and then from from you know I've done several projects with them and a bunch of tours and so on. And it's really an it's a the biggest thing it taught me was um, you know I'd spent 20 years in a band with the same guys, and you really develop your roles inside that band you, right. and your ideas of what each of you is good or not good at. And it kind of like. As, although the thing I was good at was writing songs and being a singer, um, in the background it meant the things I was bad at were playing guitar or um, uh, music theory or whatever those things might be. Just like somebody might say to you know to Tyler, you can't write a song. Well, we don't know that one hundred percent, but we just kind of de- de- decided what these roles were. Um, being outside of that, I didn't have anybody telling me what I could, couldn't do all. Like all I, I had the opportunity to to figure that out for myself. And so going into a room with all these hotshot top of the A-list classical and jazz musicians, it's terrifying. You know, when you're there with sheet music and I haven't read sheet music since I was in choir when I was 18 or something. Um, But they don't know that. Um, See if, you know, fight your way through it. And eventually like I'm writing orchestral arrangements for some of my material now and stuff, because I've allowed myself to learn how to do stuff. I didn't know how to do before, or going to make my first solo record and not knowing what the hell it was going to sound like. And then realizing, Oh, I do know how to do this. I've done a whole bunch of records over the 20 years and watched and learned from my bandmates and learned from producers and whatever else and learned what I can't do, where that's when you enlist somebody else to help you, a great drummer or horn section or whatever else. Um, but uh, there's also nobody else in my room if I'm trying to figure out a guitar part and it takes me all day, <laughs> and so be it. Nobody's yeah, laughing at me
0: except for it, me. It's family, right? Like, you know, that band oh, oh. you had for 20 years was family. And when Absolutely. you go into your own family, you're 12 years old again and you're looking in your mother's fridge.
1: That's exactly right.
0: Right. Yeah. And, and, well, just... and
1: so, and in two years, you know, my, my, my first marriage broke down, and then I was out of the band. So, that's two different things that I, w- I had been in for so long since I was 18, both of those relationships. And I walked out, and it was exactly like that. I felt like I was, it, I was like the 17 year old who was walking into those relationships, walking mm-hmm. out of them again, and going, Well, how do I be an adult in the world?
0: But it's liberating, too, because it's like when you went to summer camp and you didn't know anyone in your cabin. Well, right. now you could be anybody you wanted to be. I went yeah. to the Island Science School in Toronto. Uh, they, for some unknown reason, my principal decided I should go because I was nothing but trouble. Uh, and I get to the to the docks, and my father lets me off and goes to his, his job. And I'm standing there, and this kid walks up to me and goes, Hi, what's your name? And I just looked at him and I said, Mike. Why did I just do that? What, what the hell was I thinking? But I just thought, I could be anybody I want. I'm Mike. Right. And that's God right. love the counselors. They did not call me out on this and they let me be called Mike for the entire week. So Fantastic. <laughs> you know, so that's the liberation part. You know, leaving a family's hard. And I always I I, I always hoped that even though there might have been struggles in leaving the bare naked ladies, that there was, that there's still love, that you still have some love for these guys because of all the things you went through together. Is is it, is it, is it, is there some love there or is it kind of still confused or?
1: Oh no, I absolutely have. I, and that's in, that took time. I mean, it was, it was weird. I think when we thought, when we first split, we all thought it was going to be very easy and amicable. I think it's any kind of, adult split tends to be you you think it's going to be, and then it gets sticky and difficult and all the, the sore subjects start to kind of rear their heads. Um, But no, I have so many good memories of being with those guys. I mean, musically and just as human beings, I, you know, I, uh, one thing that's helped me a lot is I have, everything on random in my car when I'm driving, I listen on right. my phone. And sometimes these live improvs that we would do would come up and I'll still die laughing at some of these <laughs>
0: things. Like, and I just
1: feel like that was, that band was amazing. Um, uh, you know, just the way the five of us would gel, you know, Ed and I back and forth with the, with the stream of consciousness raps, but also the other guys cluing in on everything we were doing. It was amazing. a psychic experience.
0: I always think of Kevin. You never knew when Kevin was going to say something. <laughs>
1: oh, I know. He's the, he's the slyest. He'd be the one who, like, would yeah. be silent, and he had one line that was just the perfect gotcha. And
0: slip it in. Look, people, yeah. you guys, whoever it was, he just slip yeah. one in. You oh, you're still there. I forgot you were standing behind that thing. That's totally. good. <laughs> and you and Ed, you good? You all right?
1: I guess so. I mean, you know, we we did the the they inducted us in the Hall of Fame a couple yeah. years ago at the Junos, and How'd that feel? It felt great. Ooh. It was really nice. I brought, I brought my boys with me, which was really a special thing for them. Cause they grew up in that band and in that, in that yeah. band family. And it was a chance for the kids to see each other again. Um, but honestly, after that, like, as, and I felt really up and good about it. Um, and I certainly wasn't done in for my old job back or anything else, but, uh, there really hasn't been a ton of contact a little bit right. here and there. Um, and I guess maybe maybe for them especially, it's just easier to let it go. I think I look at it from try and look at it from their point of view too. You know, they've kept the name and have been able to kind of rebuild, and you know, they're 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 doing well. Um, but they don't really have to answer for you know where's the other like I don't have to answer for where's the other guys where they might have to with some people, and I think it must it must be tiring for them just you know still be making you know x number of records after that and still have people asking
0: well your marriage your marriage your band all of it like you said there's shadows that that are there with those things absences i know that i have had two marriages and uh, have two sets of kids from those marriages and yet there's always a part of me with the first marriage and with those children of thinking i hurt those kids i you know Mm-hmm. I didn't want to hurt those kids, but I hurt those kids. And spiritually that's one of those real challenging things. And yeah. right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I carry that with me. I think my fear always of of somehow like not being the father I wanted to be. Yeah. And it was always um it it followed me and it followed me through my songs and so on for some for a certain period of time. But I see as my kids are adults, um, they're able to yell at me if they want to now and uh, and it's been it's been like shockingly good i you know i'm still bracing for it one day they'll be visiting when they're in their 30s and i'll the, you know the roof will blow off the house but i think in general it's like they know they always they know where my heart is and they know that it's with them and uh it's you know i'm 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 lucky to have the men that i have as my kids too
0: yeah and sometimes you got to tie yourself to the mast for the storm and just keep loving them because that's it'll right. come back right yeah that's a, that's a tough one you know um somebody you knew a songwriter adam schlesinger mhm i didn't actually know
1: him i i I knew him i I certainly was a fan of his he was yeah he was this one half of the songwriting team of the the band fountains of wayne and then since then um he wrote like he wrote the musical cry baby he wrote all all the songs for that show uh crazy ex-girlfriend just tons like one of these guys who never stops writing he's only a couple years older than me and he was one of the just the He was one of us, like he was of a school of songwriters much like me and Ed, uh, who mixed humor and uh, kind of illiterate cleverness and pathos with a pop song shell. Um, He did it, you know, as good as anybody. And uh, yeah, he got hit by the virus and died a few weeks ago. Just total shock.
0: Him and John Prine just died too. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: You know, do you ever feel that like there's a clock running? Do you ever feel like I got to get more done? I can't stop. What if I? What what if it's now? Do, do those things creep in there?
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, and that's I think also in my in my darkest times. We can go back to mental health stuff. You know, I've struggled with um, you know suicidal thoughts most of my life and I think one of the things that stops me is just simply that the, the thought that there was more I still needed to do um, hmm. that I, and sometimes that just comes from my guilt from not being productive as, as, as productive <laughs> as I'd want to be as, I, as we were yeah. talking about earlier, you know, it just kind of haunts me where I think, and then I, sometimes I just think who cares? Like nothing I do is going to be important enough to make a dip, de- like to make that much of a difference um but actually i've so i've been writing with do you know craig northy from the odds the band band the odds so i write with him a lot and we have a song that's on um an album of mine a couple albums ago a song called no song left to save me which became part of the musical and that was kind of came out of that conversation that sense that but who knows you may still have that one song it's going to speak to one person that's going to lift them out of the darkest time in their life. And yeah. who are you to say that you're not going to write that song? So keep, keep going and keep working because it just might happen.
0: Well, you know, Victor Frankl, uh, you know, Life: Search for Meaning is a really powerful small book, but, you know, he spoke about life in the concentration camps as a doctor as a Jew mm-hmm. and a doctor in the concentration camps. And those who survived felt there was a something to live for outside of that camp. I will see my wife again. I will see my child again. I will get out of here. And the others who didn't have that sense of purpose, they couldn't make it. They would die quite quickly and easily because they just didn't right. couldn't see beyond that day. But sometimes, as an artist, I would imagine that you don't even understand the impact of the gift, and then the person comes up to you and says, you know, when I was 17 and I heard your song, and then you realize you're really, you know, it's not just If I Had a Million Dollars. It was the song that made them actually turn around and do something different with their life, or, you know, Uh when I was young, you know, just think, oh, yeah, oh, I know every note of that song. I love that, you know, so... I, I guess, in a way, there is a priestly part of being an artist, right? Because you, you, your words and your your actions can touch people. And then the other side of it is, if they don't like the way you're behaving, then all of a sudden you you're the priest who let them down, right? So, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then when you got busted and all that, it was just like, not him. He's a nice guy, and he was, so I'm sure we that thought that, he was a nice guy. Yeah, we thought he was. Well, and then
1: at. Add to that being Canadian, who are just about the most judgmental nation on earth <laughs> when it comes to their own their own uh, public figures. It's like, oh, God. Like I, just, I used to joke, at least I don't have the pressure of trying to get the Order of Canada now, because now it's never going to
0: happen. <laughs> That's right. That one's out. Well, it's like when the Beatles got knighted, and they were very ambivalent about the whole experience, except for Paul. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Paul was fine with it. I was fine with it. He's look at he's look at that guy still does three hour concerts, man. Like, I know. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. Well, and, and here's a, here's when you're talking about you know,
1: ideas of who an artist is, and you get to look at their whole whole catalog in Paul McCartney from nineteen sixty-two to now. This guy I mean, never mind the fact that he wrote Yesterday and Hey Jude and Helter Skelter and band on the run, but like when you go through and it's like all the cheese that we like to think about McCartney being is that he's kind of this glossy, cheesy, um, yeah. sometimes meaningless. Uh, and then, then there's the side of him that is completely experimental. Um, the, the stuff is, is really out there. Um, and it makes me realize that here's a guy who's just done whatever the hell he's wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But honestly, the cheese is just as, out there as as the the noisier synth driven stuff or whatever else because it's it's almost unself conscious. When you see him talk, he seems very self conscious. He knows yeah. he's Paul from the Beatles. When he's making music, it sounds like he's just doing the thing that's in him. And I love that. And I think it makes him one of the greatest
0: artists. Yeah. Well put. Are you do you have that self consciousness still? Because it sounds like it's it's one of the things that's been peeled away more as time has gone on.
1: Yes, yeah, so I think I don't think I am self-conscious when it comes to making music. I think when I'm, th- when I'm making the music, I'm not thinking about that at all. I think when I'm talking, like doing this, I yeah. can feel the kind of the, the veil of self-consciousness. And I'll probably, you know, if I listen back to this, I'd be cringing the whole time. <laughs> hearing, I hate hearing myself speak, but I don't mind hearing my music. Uh, you know, and I know that when I'm on stage singing, you know, the moments that I cra- have always craved are the moments of transcendence, the moments where you kind of like disappear and the song continues and you're kind of floating above it. The worst feeling, of course, is when you wake up in the middle of the song, because it's a song that like a, the old apartment or Brian Wilson or something that I've sung a million times in my life and I've been transcending through half of it and then something will kind of jolt me out of it and I'll think, did I sing that second verse? <laughs> maybe I'm just, am I singing the same thing twice now? Like I don't know. Um, that's where the self-consciousness comes in. but when over the last few records writing and recording, the most gratifying thing has been that that for the most part at the end of the day, when the song is mixed, I think, yeah, that's what I heard. That's what I heard in my head, and I love the fact that I'm able to now unveil that or i have the tools to be able to put it down and make it actually sound the way i'd imagined and that's uh, you know i know i don't have the audience i once had so i think part of you thinks you're not thinking as much about the audience but you're always thinking about the potential of an audience you're thinking about is somebody who who's going to hear this are they going to connect to it in the same way that i'm connecting to it but i guess i've also learned i don't People can listen to music however they want to listen to it and get out of it whatever they want to get out of it. They don't have to get my meaning or the reason why I I sing something. As long as it reaches them in some way, I'm okay with that.
0: That's interesting, right? That idea that you used to have an audience where there was an arena of people and now there's an audience of people. Right. But you, you have to still value the work but not with the same measuring stick that's right exactly
1: right i have no expectations of it uh you know selling a, a ton of records or anything else but i do feel like as a it's something that i need to stand next to with pride and and say this is an accurate reflection of who i am and where i'm at right now for anybody who wants wants to hear
0: it and be true to yourself, not just go, you know, I could write that hit thing again. That, that would work right. out. Right? I,
1: I'm not good at the, at the um, like, imi- imitating other artists. I'm not, like, I was never a good enough player to be in a cover band. Um, I could only ever, like, I, I played guitar to accompany the songs that I made up and, you know, learned as I went along to try to figure out how to accompany myself. But, like, I could never imitate somebody else's playing. So because of that, I'm kind of stuck sounding like me and that's right. totally that uh, now I go, Oh, that's good. I'm glad. Cause I think otherwise the easy thing to do would be, let's make this sound like so-and-so let's make this sound like so-and-so. Yeah. And that's not my, not my world.
0: So after June, what is it? 22nd, your birthday. Yep. Yeah. So after June 22nd, there's that other side, 50 is the other side. You, you, you yeah. can't be a kid anymore. Um, where where do you see the journey taking you? Your kids are are grown. You got one fifteen year old as a step kid, but your kids for the most part are are really into their journey. And over the next few years, will really solidify some of those pieces. You're happier than you've been. You're playing music you you care about. But where do you go as a person from here? Do you think?
1: I don't know. I think. You know, for the next few years, like, I think in the music business, it's going to be such chaos a year from now that I think trying to figure out how to keep the lights on is going to be an interesting thing. That's going to be pretty all consuming because um, mm-hmm. all the shows that are canceled now are all in the process of being rescheduled for a year from now, which is way far in advance. So where I would normally want to schedule a tour six months in advance, I'm now going to have to look a year and a half in advance before anything's available to get booked into. So what am I going to do for the next year in order to kind of keep things going? I think we're going to have to see some... I'm going to have to start innovating in a certain way to try to, to, try to drum up uh, business, which is a weird way to look at it. as I've been so lucky since I was 18... This is the only real job I've ever had is making music. Um, so focusing on how to do that in a way that that keeps me both sane and uh, fed is probably going to be the focus of the next couple of years. Um, but like writing this musical, maybe hopefully that'll be on next year. Maybe maybe they'll reschedule it for for next season. Um, I'd love to write another one. I mean, I have ideas probably need to find collaborators on that but uh, you know that's that's a whole new discipline like things like going to rehearsal one day and as far as i'm concerned the show's written and we realize oh this character needs a different song here so let's scratch this song and let's can we write a new one for here can you have it here tomorrow it's not normally how i operate but i go back and i write some stuff and i have to get it down on on uh like record it and So that the copyist can write it out for the music director and everything else. And there's somebody singing this new song the next day. It's such a trip. I love it. So I would love to do more of that.
0: Do you see less spotlight, more creation, or does it it just depends on the project?
1: It does pretend, uh, depend on the project. I I think there's less, I mean, the spotlight is smaller. And that's, I, I don't mind that. You know, it's just that the focus has gotten smaller in the, in, in the, when I'm on stage. But the rest of my life, I feel like the spotlight has become a floodlight. Like, it's like there's a lot more room to work. You know, I'd, like to, I'd love to do more work with the Art of Time Ensemble. I'd be doing shows with symphony orchestras. And like, you have to kind of dabble in a way, or I have to, but it's also what keeps me energized. Um, and I'd love to find more places to to try things out. I think that's that's the exciting thing now, is that I don't have to feel like uh, that I have to just do the same thing. Like, that the idea of trying different disciplines, I probably would have, if you'd asked me 30 years ago, I would have thought it, that was for somebody who was 30 years younger. But right. it's actually... Kind of perfect for
0: somebody who's getting up there. Getting up there. I'm way ahead <laughs> of you, big guy. I've got I've got you by a good mile, mile and a half. So, <laughs> it's you know what. This is an interesting time in life to to be older because I think you, me, lots of people I know, we thought we should climb this certain mountain, and we got to the top cliff and we felt lonelier than we'd ever felt. It was. That's
1: like, right. Yeah.
0: It was it wasn't the mountain we thought it was and that's liberating isn't it i mean that's just like okay it's not that i don't need to do that
1: yeah it took it took me a long time to learn how to cope with that or be okay with like uh with that not being the goal anymore yeah and i really it comes down to other people i mean that's the other thing i've learned about being a solo artist is nothing's actually solo everything is always with somebody else like whether it's an accompanist or a manager or a roadie or whatever else you're doing something with other people Um, and it's those relationships that make everything interesting and fulfilling and worth doing again
0: does it make for do you translate that into marriage
1: oh totally Absolutely.
0: It's funny. When you've had two marriages, one of the things I noticed is the first time you thought it was just their fault. The second time the the second person says the same things about you. It's like, wait a minute. That's kind of a pattern. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's true that is true yes and then you start to realize okay maybe i am this thing maybe and now how do i fix it comes exactly. much later i wish the how do i fix it came in the same thought as maybe i am that person but for me i'm a little slow that
0: way i'm a little slow that way because you got to come to terms with with the fact that we're a never-ending project you know yeah Uh, We're never good. There's no such thing as perfect. You're just going to keep trying, but it's intention kavanah, you know In Hebrew it's kavanah, right? You got to have a kavanah when you get up in the morning And you got to be able to look at things like sin, which is not an action that you did as a bad thing It's just not having good aim Right, you know Right, we're we're trying to get somewhere, but our aim isn't that good. So we just keep misfiring and hitting Sorry, I didn't mean to hit you with that dart, you know And then you sort of have to collect the pieces of what you've done and what you wanted to do and make them into some wisdom or else they just become a bunch of disassociated pieces. They're just There's nothing to them. It's just a, a random act of life. And I, I tend to think there's something else going on here. I don't know what the hell is going on, but I know something's going on because the thing that inspires you to write that piece of music, to open your, you know, to be in the, what were you, in the Mendelssohn Choir or something when you were a yeah. kid? Yeah. Yeah, so... That power of being in that choir, like when I was in, you know, Forest Hill Collegiate Choir, and we're all cynical and wearing our white shirts because they made us, and we did, we did a hallelujah chorus, you know, hallelujah, hallelujah, we stop, and we're just like, (sighs) and we just turn and look at each other and just think, oh, I can't even fake that that didn't matter. That totally matters.
1: Exactly. It, and it is it is the greatest feeling. I think like almost nothing beats to me the singing with a group of other people. You know, and that's something that yeah. sustained us through Bare Naked Ladies and everything else too. But singing with a large group of people like that, um, you know, I, I was thinking about like my kids. My kids weren't big into sports, and I certainly wasn't. But the thing that got us all through were things like that, being in musical theater my my middle son ben is a is an actor um graduating from sheridan this year in musical theater um my eldest son's a conductor um so it's this idea of doing something you know in an ensemble Mm -hmm. striving for excellence that is beyond any single part in that
0: nothing you're still doing that yeah yeah, it's beautiful. Well, listen, I've taken a lot of your time. Uh, often over the years, I've wished we bumped into each other on the street, just to so too. Give a hug and see how we were doing. I'm I'm glad to 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 spend this time with you. I really am. Yeah, me too,
1: Ralph. Great to see
0: you. All right, you take care of yourself. Take care of your family and your loved ones, and stay safe there in fabulous New York State. All right. Thank
1: you,
0: sir. All right, Great to see you. You too. Bye bye. Bye bye. Stephen Page. Uh, Stephen Page is somebody you know in many incarnations as a solo artist uh, and as, a, of course, founding member of the Bare Naked Ladies and a major songwriter in that band. Um, and uh, an old friend. Uh, we kind of started at about the same time, so it was lovely to be able to spend a little time with him. And it's lovely to spend a little bit of time with you in this uh, strange and interesting days that we are living uh, you take care of each other, and uh, we'll do a lot more of not that kind of rabbi. Uh, the good Lord willing, as Tommy Hunter used to say. I'm Ralph Ben Benmerge. Bye-bye. podcast has been produced by tmds and accelerated by rome phone rome phone brings you the most reliable virtual phone service to run your business and protect your home
1: number